Hello and welcome to episode 141 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And my mom just told me I look like my background. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know if that's a good <laughs> or a bad thing. Uh, I guess I blend in like a little chameleon over here. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it. Not at all. We're recording this at night. So it's like the lighting is totally different from during the day. <laughs> during the day. I know. I have great windows and great daylight light. I have great daylight light during the day. And at night, it's just, you know, it's dark. <laughs> oh, no. We're off to a great start. <laughs> oh, well, I have the true crime. Bethy has the paranormal. So and the drink. Mm -hmm. Let's start yes. off with the drink, my dear. And we actually, I'm actually drinking the drink, like for real. I'm not just going to sip on it because we're doing this during the day. And I got the kids. Uh-uh. The kids are asleep. Alex has got them. And I'm drinking a cocktail. Yay. Hey, you were going to send me the recipe so I could drink I did. with you. I did send you the recipe. When? The day you told me, send me the recipe. I said, okay. And I texted it to you. Oh. Mm. Just Sorry. like tonight, I texted you. I text you. I text you and said, hey, I'd prefer to record tonight. Kids are in bed early. Wait, wait, wait. She texted me first and said, <laughs> mom, do you want to do this tomorrow instead of tonight? And I was like, no, I said, do you want to do it tonight or tomorrow? But or would you like to do it tomorrow? That's the way you put it. And I'm like, yes, I think. She wants to do it tomorrow. Great. Because it's the beginning of Shark Week. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I think I'd prefer tonight because the kids went to bed early. Didn't hear from her. That was Didn't after I got all settled in for Shark Week. So I call her and I was like, mom, did you get my text? Because I think I want to record. And she's like, okay, I got to <laughs> do my hair and makeup because we're on the Zoom now. I got to do my hair and makeup. I just settled in to watch Shark Week. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, mom. It's I'm okay. Sorry. I do feel what, bad about that. What I do for you. <laughs> that's okay. Shark week. Notice the week. Week. So I've got uh, all week to watch see? it. Yes. <laughs> My mom is obsessed with sharks. Okay. So the cocktail has yes. everything to do with my story. And I did send you the recipe and I bet you, you would have had everything for it. Darn it. It is called the Orange Crush Cocktail, and I got this off of the SuburbanSoapbox.com, okay? Okay. It is two ounces of orange-flavored vodka, two ounces of triple sec, a fourth cup of fresh-squeezed orange juice, mm. and then it calls for a lemon-lime soda. Now, I didn't have lemon-lime soda, but... <laughs> But we got sun-kissed for like a little special weekend drink for the boys with dinner. They get like uh -huh. sun-kissed with the sugar-free kind once a week during the weekend. It's like their big treat. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm totally stealing one of their cans and using that instead of the lemon-lime soda for this. It is so good. So it's really orangey. It is, but it adds that extra like zing to it. It's really yummy. So honestly, it's very easy. You combine the vodka, the triple sec uh, in the glass with ice. You stir in the orange juice and then you top with lemon lime soda or sun kissed if you have one. 
Very good. Uh, okay, so here is very orange. Mm-hmm. Here is the cocktail. Okay, and uh, um, let's see. How does this correlate with my story? I don't know. <gasps> Just oh. wait and see. I got these really cool ice cubes, and those are super cool. Them. So this <laughs> is how this will correlate with my story. Are those really ice cubes? Those are so cool. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Is that Amazon? (laughs) (laughs) So if you are watching on the YouTube, this is going to be very distracting. I'm sorry. I'll try to keep my drink down because this will flash. It does. It's um... flashing on your microphone. (laughs) Sorry. I'll just drink this really, really fast, I guess. Oh boy. No, don't. Because... This story is hard to follow, so you can't drink too uh, fast. Oh, great. Oh, it's flashing. Like a flashing. We need to put a flash warning on this episode, I think. This is quite a... Can you put something only... over over the top of the glass while you're not drinking it? Yeah. Oh, yes. I'll use this. There you go. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I didn't quite think that through, but I was so excited. <laughs> okay i'm getting those those are so cool and you just wash them off and you put them on a paper towel and once they're it they're dry it stops splashing wow i i got them for drinks but i thought they'd be really cool for the boys to play with in the bath too oh yeah yeah they'd like that time fun oh cool all right put that down (laughs) causing seizures (laughs) i am ready i don't know if you are story I've warned you about this one. Uh, I told you it takes place. Well, it takes place in a lot of places, but initially I told you uh, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So, all right. You ready? <laughs> now, this is a, an extremely convoluted story. It 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 has like a bunch of places. It has uh, a whole lot of names, most of which are aliases, um, and it has a lot of twists and turns. Okay, so I'm going to try notes. Is this where I need my notebook? (laughs) Yikes. I'm going to try my hardest to keep the road somewhat straight, but I'm going to have to flip from forward to backwards. Okay, so anyway, if you get lost, just I'm already lost with what you're saying. Just ask me. Okay, you'll understand what I mean. Now, I also have to say that your heart will probably be really heavy after this story. So I hope you have a really light paranormal. Oh, um, boy. And uh, listeners, be aware that there's child abuse and sexual abuse throughout the entire story. A lot of my information came from the uh, Netflix movie Girl in the Picture, which probably a lot of you have seen. It's um, a documentary, I, right? Not it is. It is. Okay. And I, I watched it and I was like, oh, I've got to cover this. I've got to cover this because I was even a little confused watching watching the documentary. So I'm like, okay, I got to look into this. And Beth had said that she'd not seen it. So that was another. I don't, I don't think I have. Maybe after you listen to this episode, you'll want to watch it because they have interviews with actual, like the victim's biological parents and um, a, a lot of people are interviewed in this that okay. would be kind of, I mean, it is kind of interesting to see. All right. On April 25th, 1990, 
On a highway outside of Oklahoma City, three guys in a truck noticed that what looked like a bunch of groceries strewn on the side of a of the highway. Mm-hmm. So they were like, hmm, this doesn't look normal. What's going on? So they parked, you know, they parked, they got out and they looked. And amongst the strewn groceries was a blonde woman that was lying there. She was barely alive, but she was still alive. And it definitely looked like a hit and run. They called the hospital, of course, and they called the ambulance. They got there and the ambulance rushed the woman to the hospital. The woman was identified as 20-year-old Tanya Hughes. She had been struck by a hit and run driver. She had bruising and a severe head injury. Detectives surmised that she had picked up groceries from the 7-Eleven and was walking back to her room at the Motel 6 when she was hit. And it was pretty late at night. I mean, I'm like, I'm talking like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Okay. Her much older husband, Clarence, was notified and told the police he was at the motel waiting for Tanya, but must have fallen asleep. He visited her the next day at the hospital. Uh, Also waiting for his mom's return from the store was two-year-old Michael. The little boy plays a part in this very horrible story, so... Little Michael will come up later. Tanya died five days after the hit and run. Um, She never regained consciousness. Tanya had worked as a dancer at Passions, a strip club in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The ladies at the club thought that Tanya's parents should be told about her death. So they called around all the huge, I mean, all the huge Tanya Hughes. So all the Hugheses, (laughs) they called. Yeah. And hey, do you have a daughter? You know, they did find a woman. She answered the phone and, you know, do you have a daughter, Tanya? And the lady is like, what are you talking about? Yes, I had a daughter, Tanya. She died 20 years ago and she was 18 months when she died. So they're like, so who is the person that we, who was the person we were dancing with? Who was the person we were working with? Uh, the ladies did get together though, and they erected a uh, headstone for Tanya. Um, and, but they didn't know when she was born. They just knew when she died and they Mm. just knew that her name was Tanya. So on the headstone was Tanya. And that was actually it. Just Tanya. But you said she had an elderly husband. Why didn't he bury her or do the headstone or anything? One has to wonder. (laughs) Why didn't he know who she was? Well, guess what? The day after Tanya died. Clarence dropped Michael off at a foster care and zoomed out of town. So Mm. he was nowhere to be seen or heard from. And she had died from a hit and run. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. Are we sure about that? We're not sure about anything in this this (laughs) thing. Okay. The police ran a nationwide search for the identity of the hit and run victim. In Georgia... Now, this is just kind of weird. But in Georgia, a mother was watching, uh, you know, Good Morning America or whatever. And they flashed, can you identify this woman? We're looking for identity. The mother calls her daughter up, Jenny Fisher, and says, turn on the news. Watch this. Isn't that Sharon Marshall? So Jenny turns on the TV and says, yeah, that's Sharon. And the guy in the picture Next to her, that's her father, Warren, and it's Warren Marshall and Sharon Marshall. 
So Jenny had gone to school, high school with Sharon, and they had been best friends. And then they'd lost touch with each other. Okay. So she goes to the FBI and says, that girl in the picture, her name is Sharon Marshall. And she went to Forest High. And her father's name was Warren Marshall. But the FBI said, "Uh uh-uh, the guy in the picture, if we're talking about the same people, the guy in that picture is that woman's husband, not her father. And Sharon's like, no, no, that was her. Not Sharon's. Oh, I'm sorry. Jenny, Jenny's like. (laughs) They're confusing me even more. (laughs) (laughs) So now the FBI has a name and they're going to start peeking into her past. Now, I couldn't really find much on Sharon as a little girl, but her and her father uh, traveled around a lot. So it was like strange things would happen and then all of a sudden they disappear and then strange things would happen and they disappear. So they, she was put in a lot of schools, but only for a short period of time is what I can gather. But she did attend Forest Park High School. She was the class of 86. Classmates and friends have nothing but positive things to say about Sharon. She was very smart, very driven. She was an ROTC science club and the gifted program. Her dream was to become an aerospace engineer. And to do that, she applied to Georgia Tech. Her senior year, Sharon got the news. She was offered a full ride scholarship to Georgia Tech. Wow. I mean, she was beyond excited. This this girl was very smart, very, That's very awesome. smart, very driven, driven. She was all the time upbeat. She was friendly. She did her part to defend and befriend uh, the underdog. She was always rooting and helping the underdog. It's pretty unbelievable that this girl who was so positive and lived so lovingly lived in a horrible conditions at home. Sharon lived with her father. Supposedly her mother had been killed in a car uh, crash when she was two years old. Okay. Her friend Jenny describes Sharon's father as strict, very odd and creepy. In their high school yearbook, you know, a lot of parents buy pictures in the back of the high school yearbook so they could put like Like toddler pictures and and baby pictures and stuff um, in the back of the yearbook. Well, he took out a whole page and it wasn't a baby picture or a toddler picture. It was like a glamour shot picture of Sharon. So it was more of a sexy photo of Sharon, but he congratulated her and good luck in this, you know, new path of yours and all this stuff. When did her Uh, mom die? When she was two. Oh, wow. Okay. So now her friend Jenny was allowed to spend the night only one time at Sharon's house. And according to the documentary, the first time that Warren dropped his daughter Sharon off at Jenny's house, he met the father and the mother. The first thing he did was pull the father aside and ask for a loan. What? (laughs) So Hi, nice to meet you. Hey, um, can I talk to you for a minute? Yeah, I really need they money. They didn't even so... know each other? No, they just met. So Jenny's, Jenny's parents are like, mm, we don't really want you. You know, she can, want my daughter she can come over night. here. Right. She yeah. can come over here, but I don't really want you there. Ooh. But then one night, 
Sharon asked Jenny to come over and Jenny's father was out of town. So her mother's like, okay, this one time, don't let your dad know, you know, one of those things. Yeah. So unfortunately what Jenny witnessed that night changed her life forever. To begin with, Sharon opened one of her drawers in her room and Jenny noticed very sexy lingerie. When she asked about the contents, Sharon said, oh, daddy buys this for me. How old were they? Seniors in high school. Okay. Later that evening, as the girls were changing for bed, Warren just came into the room. Okay. They've just got their underwear on. There were no no doors in the house. All the rooms had curtains hanging up. So there's no doors. So he just charges into the room. They're in their underwear. He points a gun at both of them. And he starts yelling this nonsensical stuff. It was just gibberish. And he starts yelling at them. And then he leaves. And of course, Jenny is like really shaken up and embarrassed. And, you know, she'd been in her underwear and, and she was scared. You know, she just had a gun pointed at her. That but Sharon, Sharon didn't seem to really be phased. And she said, oh, don't worry. Daddy's just being silly. What? But daddy wasn't being silly. Warren came back into the room with the gun. This time, he tells Je Jenny, lay down on your sleeping bag and cover your head with your pillow. She did. As she was told, she had a gun pointed at her. And the whole time that she was laying there, Sharon was beside her being raped by her father. Hmm. When Warren was done, he got up and left. The girls didn't talk that night. The next morning... Sharon came over and gave Jenny a hug. And she said, daddy's just like that. I'm okay. You're okay. Let's just let it go. So, so she's obviously been going through that. That was not wow. the first time. Let's just say that. Very much not. Very, yeah. yeah. Wow. But, you know, we got to look at the bright side. Sharon's got this full ride scholarship, right? She's going to leave this mess. Out. She yeah. is getting out. You know, it makes makes you just with a sigh of relief. Unfortunately, Sharon tells Jenny, like close to graduation, I'm pregnant. Uh, Daddy won't let me go to college because I'm pregnant and he needs someone to stay and take care of him. Oh, so wow. I don't know. It just made me wonder, even if she hadn't been pregnant, he probably would have guilted would her have into something else. Yeah. yeah. Uh, supposedly, in some of the sources I read, uh, the pregnant, um, it was her Sharon's boyfriend at the time who was the father of the baby and they ran away together. But then Sharon just left him a note and said, I've got to go back to my dad. But mm. she told Jenny, we're going to Arizona and I'm going to have my baby in Arizona. And that's what they did. They picked up and they left and they went to Arizona where the baby was put up for adoption. It was a little boy and he was put up for adoption. In 1988, the two of them, so Warren and Sharon, moved to Tampa, Florida. On April 21st, Sharon gave birth to her second baby. And this is baby Michael. She was, quote, allowed to keep this baby. Oh my gosh. To support the family, Sharon worked as a dancer at a strip club. Uh, the name was Mon Venus, M-O-N. B-E-N-U-S. The manager and the girls that worked there found Sharon to be really quiet, but very kind, but she kind of stayed to herself. And that her and her father had a really weird relationship. 
but they also saw her with Michael. Maybe she brought him in sometimes. I don't know, but they saw her with Michael and she was a loving, loving mother with Michael. They had a really wonderful relationship at one of the, I think it was the manager was, was saying, Hey, let's go to the zoo. Let's take Michael to the zoo. And she goes, Oh no, I can't do that because Warren would not let Michael out of his sight. Like Sharon could not leave the house unless she was going to the strip place. Otherwise her and Michael were pretty much un under lock and key at the house. So is Michael his son? I have to ask. We'll find out. Oh. <laughs> okay. Uh, there was um, the club did uh, several parties during the year and it, can't remember the name of the parties. It was like Millionaires Club or something like that. It was for really high-end rich people. And it was just uh, basically a big party uh, mm -hmm. with very wealthy people. And the girls were only allowed to dance. They weren't allowed to lap dance. They weren't allowed to do anything else but dance and, and very, you know, high-end dancing. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> Anyway, the um, manager at one point in the evening that, well, Sharon begged to be invited to this party, to be a dancer at this party. I'm and sure finally got good tips. Yeah. Finally, you know, the manager's like, yeah, okay. You know, cause Sharon was very pretty, very, very pretty. She said, yeah, sure. You can do it. But then later in the night, one of the patrons came up to the manager and said, Hey, uh, you have a girl that's standing outside the women's restroom. Basically, she's selling sex for $50 a pop, which was so, it was not allowed. So the manager pulled Sharon aside oh and gosh. said, hey, what's going on here? This is not allowed. And Sharon said, oh, my dad told me to do it to make some extra money. Oh, my gosh. So her father was forcing her to be involved in sex to make money, basically prostituting her out. Right. As I said, Sharon was friendly to all the employees of the club, but she did make one close friend. And that was another dancer, Cheryl Ann Camiso. Cheryl was beautiful, 18-year-old, who when younger was actually a beauty pageant winner. Uh, Cheryl dreamed of becoming a model and someday posing in Playboy. So this was her dream. And she was a very beautiful woman, very Italian looking with long, dark hair and very, very pretty. The manager who, you know, I was like, I don't know the culture of a dance club at all. Right. Um, but I was kind of, I don't know, happy, I guess, to see that the girls really took care of each other and the manager really took care of her girls. Mm -hmm. So she was really hesitant about Sharon and her father and, and her father Warren really kind of creeped all the girls out. I mean, just, you know, so she told Cheryl, I think for your own safety and well-being, you shouldn't really hang out with them. It's just not safe. Hmm. She said, oh, you know, he did try to have sex with me, but I refused and I know how to take care of myself. It's no big deal. Uh, one night in April of 1989, uh, Cheryl left her father's house saying she was spending the night with a friend who was Sharon and uh, she was never seen again. Oh, gosh. Within a few weeks, like two weeks after Cheryl's disappearance, Sharon, Michael, and Warren also disappeared. Two days after they had left town, their trailer exploded. 
Now, I think oh, this no. was to get rid of evidence. Any evidence. Sure. A family, Jeez. and I use that term lightly, uh, headed to New Orleans. They changed their names, Clarence Marcus Hughes and Tanya Dawn Tadlock. These were names that they found on gravestones, gravestones. at the cemetery, mm-hmm. at a cemetery. Okay. While in New Orleans, the two were married. And Tanya had another child who was put up for adoption. How do they get married, though? Is there like literal, you need like your birth certificate. Is there like a real marriage? Yeah, it's a real marriage. It's in, it's documented. They got married. You know, a lot of things, you can fake a lot of things, Beth. And I, I don't know. I mean, this is, you know, back in 19, what I say, 89. So I, I don't know, but they were legally married. Okay, so Tanya had another baby. This time it was a girl, and the baby girl was adopted by Mary and Dean DeFren. They named their daughter Megan, and she was raised with a lot of love and attention. So this was a good thing. The The Hughes family moved to then Tulsa, Oklahoma. So we're still Tanya, and what did you say, isn't it? Clarence and Michael now moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Here, Tanya worked as a dancer at the strip club Passions, which brings us to the beginning of the episode, okay, where she was found on the side of the highway. As I said, one day after Tanya died, Clarence put the two-year-old Michael into the foster system and left the state. Ernest and Merle Bean took little Michael in. They described the child as initially being nonverbal, having bouts of tantrums when he didn't get his way that became so out of control. The child would run into the kitchen, which had a tile floor, run into the kitchen and bang his head so hard on the floor that he, they had to grab him. So I'm sorry. They had to grab him so that he wouldn't bust his head open. And they just had to hold him until his tantrum went, you know, left him. They said that when the social worker dropped him off, The social worker told them, okay, he only drinks out of a bottle and he only drinks Coke. Oh my Uh, God. So, but they did say that by the end of that week, (laughs) the child was drinking milk and it was out of a cup. (laughs) So so he was a smart little boy and he caught on really quickly. You have to imagine what he was seeing at home. I just can't even. Fed and everything at home. I know. And what he was seeing and what he was used to and just. Oh my gosh. It didn't take long for Michael to become part of the Bean family. They had other children also. He became a bright, funny little boy. And I will probably cry somewhere in this episode. I'm really sorry. Uh, But this boy was just, he was beautiful. He was just beautiful. He had dark brown hair and these huge, huge brown eyes. And all the pictures I saw, he was just had this beautiful, bright smile. Because you're crying, something obviously is going to happen to him. The family had Michael for four years. <laughs> and in 1994, they began adoption proceedings. Mm. By this by this time, Clarence had come back and was demanding Michael be returned to him. Mm. So he did have parental rights. And, and that's the he number would... one goal for fostering is to get families back together eventually yeah well he didn't have full custody though um because he had just dropped him off and left him right so he had like to go through like the 
court visitation and all that kind of stuff. He had, yeah, he had visitation rights. But every time he came to pick Michael up, Michael would hide under the table and say, not that mean man, not that mean man. Please, I don't want to go with the mean man. But of course he had to. Mm -hmm. Okay, so along with um, adoption proceedings, uh, the children have to do a DNA testing to make sure their parents are who Mm -hmm. they say they are. So they did the DNA testing and it was discovered that Clarence was not the father of little Michael. He was not oh. the biological father of the boy. And he lost all rights to Michael. Oh. Sigh of relief, right? Mm-hmm. Not so fast. In 1994, Michael was in the first grade at Indian <sighs> Meridian Elementary School in Choctaw, Oklahoma. On September 12th, Clarence entered the school, confronted the principal, James Davis, threatening him with a gun. He forced Davis to take him to Michael's classroom where he proceeded to grab Michael. He forced the principal and the little boy into Davis's truck and raced away from the school. Clarence drove onto a dirt road and in a heavily wooded area, he handcuffed Davis to a tree, duct taped his mouth and left with Michael. The principal was found by a hunter. It like, that evening, that day, the next day, but he was shaken, but he was very much alive. But unfortunately, Michael was never seen again. In 1994, okay. Never seen again. They couldn't. Mm -hmm. Never seen again. So, and I will go into that, but now I'm kind of going to leave Michael and Clarence. Okay. We're going to go back to Florida. In 1994, a skull was found. And after further excavation in that area, a skeleton, fragments of clothing, jewelry, and a breast implant was found off of Highway I-275 in Tampa, Florida, Tampa Bay, Florida. The skull showed two bullet holes to the back of the head and crushed bone underneath an eye. The woman had been killed and dumped, but had no identity. They named her Jane Doe I-275. Okay. Now back to Clarence and Michael. So now there's a nationwide search for Clarence and Michael. The FBI tracked the principal's truck to Texas and then to Kansas. The truck had broken down and Floyd had simply ditched it. I mean, it wasn't his to begin with, right? So no problem. He just left it. I guess a Kansas mechanic who, I don't know, that that part's kind of fuzzy, but I think a mechanic got the truck at an auction and he was fixing it up. Somewhere in Kansas, I tried to find out where, but I I couldn't. But somewhere in Texas or in Kansas, he he got this. And as he was fixing the truck, he came upon a large envelope. It was stuffed behind the truck bed and the gas tank. The envelope contained ninety seven photos. All oh, no. were all were pornographic. There were pictures of Sharon when she was very young, as oh, well as as she was getting older, there are pictures of her there too. Now, remember what I said, they're all pornographic. There were quite a few pictures of a woman who was bound and severely beaten. The FBI investigator who the photos were handed off to noticed that the unidentified woman had natural tan lines. So he's going, okay, natural tan lines. Maybe she's from a sunny state. So they knew that Clarence had had this truck. What states were kind of the sunny states that they were known that Clarence was known to live in. Okay. So it was Georgia and Florida and Kentucky. 
Okay, these were states that Clarence was known to have lived in. They sent copies to the law enforcement agencies in those states to look at missing person records. A year later, the photos had been matched to Jane Doe I-275. The injuries on the woman matched the injuries on the skull, and the scraps of clothing matched the bit of clothing that the woman in the photo had on. It was Cheryl Camiso. So they had found her. Oh, you remember wow. who she is, right? Yes, that was the dancer, dancer. That was friends mm-hmm. with her, with Sharon. The images of Cheryl that were in the picture, you know, the pictures, also included some furniture in the background, all according to witnesses belonging to Clarence, whose real name by this oh time gosh. is known, and it's mm-hmm. Franklin Floyd. Okay, you I will read Floyd before. I will refer to the, him from now on, unless I go back, but from now on as Floyd. Okay. okay so yeah, you Franklin... called him Floyd in the last little that he picked up Michael and you called him Floyd then. Mm. Okay. Well, he's Franklin Floyd. Okay. From birth. So I was a little confused, but I was like, okay, did she already tell me? And I forgot <laughs> that he, sorry, his name was Floyd. Okay. He had a record <laughs> and a very disturbing past. The FBI finally caught up with Floyd, the fugitive, by the way, he had been like a fugitive for 20, 20 something years. So how did they find out his name was Floyd? Uh, it was, it was, uh, he had been picked up after he dumped the truck. He did something and was picked up and was in jail. And so then they, did they like match prints or they something? match prints and stuff. And he has quite the history. But anyway, when, when they had him in custody, he didn't say anything about Michael. He refused to say anything about Michael because we still don't know where Michael is. Floyd was tried and convicted of Cheryl's death in Florida uh, on the basis of photographic evidence. He received the death sentence. Okay. Now, as you and I do not like to go into the lives of the murderers because it's not worth it. <laughs> it's just, no. <laughs> but no, I am. story is much more important. I'm going to make an exception this time. And this is where it just gets really crazy. Floyd had a terrible time as a youth, which probably contributed to the horrible, despicable man he was going to become. Okay, here we go. Floyd was born in 1943. He and his two siblings were sent to a home when they were very young. The father was gone. Either he had left or he he was dead. The mother was an alcoholic. In the home, he was physically, emotionally, and sexually abused by the other boys because he was small and thin. In 1959, he ran away from the home and enlisted in the army, lying about his age. In four months, he was kicked out (laughs) because of lying and forging his papers. I was going to say, they will figure that out. (laughs) (laughs) Two months later, he was arrested after breaking into a Sears store and exchanging gunfire with police. He was sent to the Preston Youth Facility. Store. Yeah, Sears. Sears anymore. I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> Sorry. Took that as a little bit of a nostalgia there. I don't know <laughs> if there is a Sears anymore. I don't know oh. either. There isn't in our town. That was <laughs> it's actually gone. one of my very first credit cards was a Sears credit card <laughs> to build my credit. I bought my first refrigerator on that credit card. Oh, <laughs> We Sorry. had all our, our all our appliances were from Sears, actually. Uh, Dishwasher, refrigerator, washer and dryer, everything came from Sears. I uh, I don't know if there's a Sears anymore. <laughs> anyway. Sorry. So now he's in this youth facility. 
Okay. He was released in January 1962. In May of that year, he kidnapped a four-year-old girl and raped her. Oh, my gosh. Two months later, he was convicted of child molestation and was sentenced to 20 years in a prison in Atlanta, Georgia. In November of that year, he was sent to the state hospital for psychiatric testing. He escaped from the hospital in March of 63. A day after his escape, Floyd robbed a bank, but was caught that same day. In July... Oh, it keeps going. In July, he pled guilty and was sentenced to 15 years, which he was to serve at the Chillicothe Federal Reformatory in Ohio. So, and that was for the bank robbery. Okay. That's 15 years. He's then transferred to, let's see. Okay. So he's in the reformatory. Two months later, he attempts to escape, but he's caught. And then he's transferred to Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. He's there from October 63 to June 64. He's transferred to the Springfield, Missouri Medical Hospital for evaluation. He's there from June to February 65. Then it's to federal prison in Marion, Illinois. And that's from 65 to 68, after which he's sent to Reedsville Prison in Georgia to finish his molestation sentence. Okay. In November of 1971, he's transferred to federal prison in Atlanta, Georgia, for the escape attempt in Chillicothe. So remember, he why tried to. Wasting, why are they wasting he already taxpayers' has money on just, just? No, no, this is before. This is way. This is his youth. This but is when he's the, young. For the four-year-old molestation, he didn't get life for that. He's got 20 years. 20 years. Oh my gosh. 20 years. Sorry, I misunderstood you he got life for okay gotcha killing cheryl yes okay so he's gonna get off for all of this stuff in 1972 he's released to a halfway house yeah and in january 1973 he was paroled our system is so wackadoodle so he's paroled in january in february of 73 same same year Lloyd's mm. taken into custody for the attempted kidnapping of a young woman in Atlanta. Because he's he learned all of his lessons and was on parole. So, But he's, he's bonded out. Now. He's oh, bonded I... out. And he promptly disappears. And mm. that's, that's when he became a fugitive. Mm. Remember, I said he's a fugitive. So, mm. um, And here is, the, here is the very, very beginning of this whole story. Sandy Chipman met Floyd. Who? Who? Okay, just listen. Sandy Sandy Chipman met Floyd. All names start with S's. This is who, by the way, was Brandon Williams in 1974. So this okay, is so right. Floyd was going by Brandon and he met a girl named Sandy. Yes. Okay. okay. And this was this was a few months after he bonded out. Okay. okay. So he's so, in, he's a fugitive, but he's okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. They met at a church where Sandy mm-hmm. was crying in the pew. And church so, is supposed to be safe. <laughs> she the church was empty and she was just crying. So he went up to her and he was like, Oh, honey, what's wrong? And she said, The state just took away my three children. Four children. State just took away my four children. Uh, she goes, I have PTSD because a tornado hit our trailer 
and we lost everything. And, you know, something triggers my PTSD and then I can't handle the children. So I went to social services to see what can be done. And they took the children away from me. Uh, Brandon says, well, you know what? I'm going to help you. Let's get married. And by being married, we can go to the state and we can get the children back. And Sandy goes, okay. What? So they get married. They go to the state. They get the four children back. All right. All these four babies. So now Brandon, of course, turns into a horrible husband and father. And he's very untrustworthy, very violent. But one night... Sandy has to go and get diapers for the baby. So she goes to a 7-Eleven. They are, she goes to a convenience store. They have no money. So she has to steal the diapers. She's caught. She's put into prison for 30 days for stealing the diapers. Meanwhile, Brandon is home with the four children. Oh my gosh. When she gets out of jail, she comes home and there is no one there. She eventually finds her two children, Allison and Amy, at a home for, you know, like foster care home, an orphanage, basically. He had dropped them off there. Then he had dropped the boy off, and that's Philip, I believe. Yeah, Philip. He had Phil, He dropped Philip off at another orphanage. Now, remember, he's a little baby, but there's no sign of Suzanne, her oldest daughter. Okay. okay. So now we've got Suzanne Savikis, and she is gone. Okay. This is all kind of coming together, kind of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. If you can um, make sense of such a person. Yeah. So he kept Suzanne for himself. Now she's like, Ugh, I don't know. She was chicken bumps. Probably four years old when he took her. Jeez. And he started his abuse at that time. They moved from state to state, claiming that she was his daughter, all the time sexually abusing her from the age of four to the day she died at the side of the highway outside of Oklahoma City. Linda Williams, Sharon Marshall, Tanya Don Tadlock, and Tanya Hughes were all Suzanne Marie Savakis. The book... A Beautiful Child was written by investigator journalist Matt uh, Birkbeck, and it was published in 2004. It led to interest in the case and in 2011 uh, led the National, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and the FBI to revive the case. The two FBI agents interviewed Floyd in 2014. Now, remember, he's on death row in Florida. And he revealed Sharon's true identity 39 years after she was taken by Floyd and 24 years after she was murdered. Now her true identity is known. Floyd also admitted to killing Suzanne's son, Michael, on the same day he kidnapped him. He was irritating me, you know, by being a typical six-year-old boy riding in the back of the truck who had just been Picked up by the mean, mean man. Anyway, with a gun. At with a gun. School. So uh, Floyd said, "Yeah, he was irritating me, but I made it quick by shooting him twice in the back of the head." He then said he buried the boy. Oh my god! 
Poor at the last exit out of Oklahoma into Texas, an extensive search was made, but Michael's remains have never been found. And although Floyd admitted to killing Michael, he has never admitted to Suzanne's death, which remains unsolved to this day. So we will never, I don't think we'll ever know. It really could have been a hit and run. We don't know. We don't know anything. Now, I'm not going to leave you on this terribly sad note because (sighs) first, and maybe we shouldn't celebrate this, but I'm sorry, I am. After two decades on death row at Union Correctional Institution in Florida, Floyd died at the age of 79 and he wasn't executed. They say it was a natural death. The date was January 23rd, 2023. So it happened this year, beginning of this year. In 2019, Suzanne's biological brother, Philip, remember the little baby that was Mm -hmm. taken? Uh, He was identified through DNA testing, and he had been privately adopted by a family in North Carolina. Uh, Here's the strange but kind of beautiful end that tied everything together. When Matt Birkbeck's book, A Beautiful Child, was released, Megan... Oh, I don't want to butcher this name. I'm sorry. I was going to write this here. Dufresne. Dufresne. So it, it, the daughter that she had given up. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was okay. Okay. So Suzanne's youngest child, <clears throat> she read the book, not knowing that this was about her mother. She Ooh, had no idea. Okay. All right. Her adopted mother, Mary, noticed the cover of the book. The woman on the cover was Megan's biological mother. She was sure of it. They had met Suzanne, uh, who was Tanya at the time, but they had met her and her husband at the beginning of the adoption process. So they had been together face to face. Megan offered DNA to investigators, and after analysis of Megan's and Suzanne's DNA, it was discovered that they were related. They were mother and daughter. Oh, wow. What a horrible closure, though. Like What a horrible reality. Is, but yeah. Together, Birkbeck, investigators, and the National Center for Missing and, and Exploited Children, and e- extensive and in-depth searching, was it was discovered in 2014 that Sharon, Tanya, was Suzanne. We've already covered this. Don't know why I'm repeating it. <laughs> and then it was further verified that when Floyd admitted that it was her. Okay. So Megan was yes. stunned and appalled at what her mother had endured. I mean, my God, you know, she read the book, not knowing that was her mother. And then it was like, holy smokes. She said in the documentary, Girl in the Picture, quote, no girl should have to go through that from a stranger, no less a father or father figure or whatever the hell he was. Mm. In honor of Michael, this is where I knew I'd lose it. In honor of Michael, the brother she never knew, she named one of her sons, one of her two sons, Michael. Quote, Michael didn't get to live out his name, and I wanted that name to keep on going, she said. Megan met her grandfather, Cliff, and the two began building a relationship. And in 2019, Birkbeck, the author, Megan, Cliff, and Suzanne's friends placed a new tombstone on Suzanne's grave. No longer with just Tanya written on it, but instead, Suzanne Marie Savakis, September 6th, 1969 to April 30th, 1999. 
a devoted mother and friend. Oh, rest in peace, Michael, Suzanne, and Cheryl. And I'm sure there's probably Jeez. more that are in that list, but that we'll never know. There, Yeah, unfortunately, there probably is. Wow. That was a twisted tale. I actually cannot believe I followed you. So oh, job well good. done, Mom. Because <laughs> it took so me a while. Little, the one little slip up, but slip I on knew, the what you, knew what you meant. <laughs> I don't know why, I how I knew what you meant. I don't know how like, you caught up on that like, either. Well, you <laughs> you like, must have really been listening. <laughs> Floyd came to get Michael, and I'm like, wait, who's Floyd? Uh, I think that's the, the dad the dad Father guy thing, thing. now <laughs> <laughs> sorry that was really hard to put together i mean i did the research and then it took me days to put that together <laughs> trying not to confuse job everybody well done. no job well done <sighs> and i followed it while drinking a cocktail so with flashing lights ah <sighs> Oh, I well, okay. I'm gonna attempt to uh, lighten things up then. Please, are we ready? I think we are. We're more than ready. <laughs> I I think so too. Okay. Mom told me that this covered a lot of states, but the main one she told me originally was Oklahoma. So that is where I looked for paranormal. I actually came up with a really fun story for our patrons in all of my research. So if you guys want to hear that one, it's actually really good. I'm going to cover <laughs> that on Patreon. Um, and then a little side note too. Uh, if you join Patreon, you have a week to do this. There are There's a riddle that we posted in our last Patreon exclusive video. Uh, and you're supposed to message me. Join Patreon first and then message me the answer to the riddle and you're going to get entered into winning um, this really cool hunt a killer uh, detective box that mom and I go on and on about. Uh, a it's a mystery game box to solve a so. murder. It's so much fun. Uh, so, I mean, I am gifting that for Patreon. So go ahead, join Patreon. Uh, we do exclusive. If you don't know what that is, guys, it's $5 a month. We do extra episodes on our off weeks that we're not releasing full episodes out regularly. That makes sense. Uh, you also get ad free and early episodes before they air regularly. And we do, yep. we're going to try to do more giveaways and things like that. And it's, and they're fun. They're not always like, uh, Serious you know, sometimes we do, we do updates on crimes that maybe we've covered and there's a new update on them or, you know, we, we do, or maybe there's something that hit the news and we want to cover that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, otherwise that can be anything from like Beth did riddles um, or I do, of course, you know, I like the bizarre stuff. So I've, I've done bizarre stuff. Yes, and she has. And uh, I we covered a Savannah show. Yeah, we have a lot of fun. It's it just it's kind of random stuff, but it's fun. We watch watch ghost adventures together. We watch ghost adventures <laughs> together, and I, and put out some funny videos on that. So oh that my gosh, I think we posted bloopers too, didn't we? On Patreon, uh -huh. we've done we've done two bloopers. So yeah, if you guys want to join Patreon, it's five dollars a month. We really appreciate it. You're gonna get your money's worth. I 
promise you there's a lot you get everything in the backlog too you're not just getting what you doing it for that month it's yeah everything you will get everything that's on patreon and then make sure you watch the most recent video that's on there answer the riddle message me the riddle and you could win the hunter killer box it's gonna be it's a fun thing okay <laughs> anyway <laughs> anyway out on an old farm road i just kicked my dog i'm sorry didn't know he was asleep right underneath me oh blakey oh sweet boy okay out on an old farm road called east 50 is where you can find this odd legend i'm going to share with you today (laughs) i love the legends (laughs) okay it goes by many names the hornet spook light the joplin spook light the tri-state spook light Ozark Spook Light, or the name in which I'm going to call it The Spook Light. (laughs) Good, because that sums all of them up. (laughs) It is The Spook Light. Okay? Okay. Spook Lights. Some call them orbs. Uh, They're they're seen in haunted places or uh, maybe just on roads like this one is. Okay, so a spook spook light is an orb? A spook light is basically what it is. It's a a light that appears, and I'll go more into depth on what this one looks like, because there's others that I'm going to kind of chat about too. Um, But they are lights that appear, not just like randomly, but it's like every night they usually see this light, or every other night, or once a month they see this light, and it appears, and it has some kind of a paranormal aspect to it because you don't know where this light is coming from okay uh so this spook light the spook light so there are reports of spook lights in different places like i said this one is out on this country road and it's between missouri and oklahoma Um, and i found it's kind of the most famous if you put in the spook light it's gonna bring up this one but there are others and it's just this light that has an unknown entity to the light does that make sense so you can't find it you can go searching for it, but you can't, you can see it, but you can't find the orientation of it. Correct. Correct. Sorry. I had to move my flashing, flashing spook flashing lights. Flashing spook lights. Distracting <laughs> me. Is that what you did? Is that the correlation? <laughs> you got it. You got it. <laughs> Come on now. I was Googling like glow in the dark cocktails and. Man, there are some, but there are some. <laughs> There's a lot of work that goes into those. I just bought uh, some ice cubes on Amazon. <laughs> it's called it good. Uh, okay. This light was first officially reported in 1881 in an article titled The Ozark Spook Light. And it was in the Kansas City Star. Wow. Okay. But legend says that it was first reported as being seen by the Native Americans out there when they walked the Trail of Tears nearby in 1836. Okay. Mm, But we don't have it in like written record until 1881. The road that the spook light is on, it's a four mile stretch of road running east to west. There are altering stories in the light's size. Kind of like it's multiple names. Uh, I guess the light has multiple sizes. 
but it ranges from a baseball size to a basketball size. <laughs> no golf size. Okay. No. <laughs> basketball, baseball. Baseball. Okay. Some say it hovers over the treetops. Some say it travels at a fast speed down the dirt road. Oh. Some say it sways side to side. Mm-hmm. Some say it spins. Some even say that it has moved past them on the road and they have felt its heat. Oh, that's like a fastball. <laughs> you and your sports <laughs> analogies. <laughs> we know we know you, Mom. You gotta what throw those that analogies good? out Wasn't there. Wasn't that good though? <laughs> so all of these differencing different that cocktail kicked in. All of these different sightings. Thank you. But they all report that the light is orange. Oh. Orange cocktail that I had with the <laughs> lights in it. So it wasn't like I'm just throwing lit ice cubes into any cocktail. It was an orange, orange. cocktail. It was very orange. <laughs> so this is very, very my tied cocktail in. was right on. Okay. Very tied in. Okay, good job. <clears throat> Thank you. Paranormal investigators and scientists have studied this light. Uh, Apparently, even the Army Corps of Engineers has tried to study this light, but no one knows what the heck it is. Mm -hmm. Wow. There are videos of this on YouTube, social media. There's pictures of this. Uh, We're going to post. I'm going to post some photos on our social media. Mom will post some on our website. And if you're watching on YouTube, I'm sure I've posted a few in this video. Okay. What is the spook light? Okay, so people say that it's like reflections or misidentification of car lights off. Yeah. This is a dirt I, road I, and then there's a highway. So they think that maybe it's like a reflection from the highway. A reflection or from that or like a billboard. It's like bouncing off of a billboard. So you're seeing like a light out there. Okay. But as I stated before, that article was written describing the dancing glowing light in 1881 and in case you didn't know it wasn't until january 29th of 1886 that carl benz applied for a patent for the first car uh uh it couldn't have been bouncing off a horse (laughs) no no it couldn't have (laughs) i'm just drinking water so (laughs) i can't even it's just late at night. So you just got the <sighs> late night giggles. Okay. 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 Because <clears throat> my ser- my story is so serious. Let's get back into it. <laughs> uh, some say, I, I just realized that most of my paragraphs and sentences have started with, some say, some say it travels at the speed of light. Some say that it's just a misidentification of a car. And some say because the area We is would a- not even have noticed that, but now we are so in tuned on to it. I'm going to attempt not to say it anymore, but some say but you that will. because... <laughs> Some say that because the area is on a fault line. Oh, that's I have to this, do with it. This causes some electrical atmospheric charges in the shape of a ball of light. I know, but in the shape of a I ball. I am not a scientist. I'm just telling you what <laughs> some people say, mom. 
I don't know. You're describing it with your hands. A light, <laughs> a light. But others say <laughs> it's more paranormal. And this is the light of a ghost. A few different ghost stories. I'll let you choose which one you think is the spook light. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Native A Native American woman fell in love with a young man. However, her father would not allow her to marry the man as he did not have a large enough dow- dowry. Dow- mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He didn't have enough money. He was too poor. Then the two ran away together and they were chased by the local Native American warriors. And this is the Kopa Native Americans. Q-U-A-P-A-W. So I just want to I don't know. I'm so sorry. Uh, So as the warriors got closer and closer, the two grabbed hands and leaped to their deaths into the spring river. Shortly after this is when the light appeared. Okay. Okay. Another story that's told by some people, Uh, a miner who lived nearby, his cabin was attacked by another local native American tribe. He survived. His wife and children were taken and his, he, my note says that his wife and children were taken by his lantern, but no, his wife and his children were taken by the native American tribe. And then he took his lantern and he went in search of them. And so that's That's what I was going to say. Did he take his lantern and search for those kids? Yep. Yes. Because he, the lantern did not take them. That would not make sense right and they did not take a lantern they left it for the (laughs) minor 49er okay sports reference (laughs) oh keep going (laughs) okay not at all the 49ers okay i know but the 49ers (laughs) are named after the minors sports reference (laughs) a local osage chief decapitated by captors what (laughs) so is his head bouncing up and down lantern working for head is what i think i think my notes are supposed to say he's out there with a lantern looking looking for his head for his head (laughs) (laughs) the lantern is working for head it took me days (laughs) days (laughs) my episode in order <laughs> mom i t- it took me days to write this up can't you tell uh in case you're out that way and you want to try to see the light you can get on their website they give you directions from all different places uh locals and those who have seen the light say that the best time to go is between 10 and midnight but they also say that the light is shy <laughs> and will not appear around large groups or loud sounds. Well, isn't that convenient? It won't show itself then. <laughs> so it wouldn't mentioned... show itself if you and I went out there either. So I'm just saying. Loud sounds. <laughs> you! <laughs> Uh, now, as I mentioned, there are other spook lights around. I listened to this podcast 
episode. I listened to a few of the episodes from this podcast because I really liked them. The podcast is called Monsters Among Us. There's a lot of really cool episodes and they have people call in and share their stories. So I want to put that as an option for our podcast because I know a lot of our listeners have some great stories and I think it'd be so cool to hear their story told by them. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. Not us just reading them. Because I mean, people are probably more, sick of our voices by better. now. So uh, anyway, Monsters Among Us, season seven, episode 12. Uh, this guy gave his personal story about how when he was a teenager, he went to a family barbecue and it was a sunny day. It was during the day and he was around the side of the house and he saw this bright cylinder. It was about two feet and it was this it was a bright light and it was moving fast, very parallel. It was parallel to the ground and it moved like right beside him and it headed into the woods by the house. And just, it was just this bright light that he just saw. I'm picturing like Sonic the Hedgehog, you know, how he was like really fast. (laughs) Okay. So it's not just his story. Like I saw this. So he's like, you know, crazy. No years later, he was sitting at it went to dinner with some family members and they were like, you know, we have the, do you remember this barbecue we went to with so-and-so, you know, they're just talking about family and they're like, you know, the last time I was at his house and they shared the same story about seeing a light. Oh, wow. And he was, and when he had seen it, he didn't tell anybody because he thought he was going crazy. So he was like, oh my gosh, I witnessed the same thing 10 years prior. Oh, so it's still going on. Wow. that's. I thought that was really interesting. And that's not really a story. Like if I saw that, I don't know. I mean, maybe I would tell you, but I don't know if I'd be going around telling like all my family, like, oh my gosh, I just saw Sonic the Hedgehog run by and run into the woods. Like, I mean, (laughs) most of my family already knows I'm crazy. So (laughs) they wouldn't really care. Um, Okay. So there's also another story uh, about the Arkansas Gurdon light. This light was featured in Unsolved Mysteries. This light is seen, um, oh, sorry, I forgot this story. Now it's coming back to me now. It's seen on a now unused railroad between St. Louis and Dallas, like a track. Mm -hmm. Um, There are like so many reports of this light. It's crazy. Some people report seeing it hundreds of times themselves. So it's not like I saw it once when I was 10. It was, oh yeah, I've seen that light hundreds of times. So what does this light do? Just go along the track? The light dates back to the 1930s. And and to to differ from the spook light, the description of this light, this spook light, is they're all the same. Okay. They're not all the same. They're not baseball up in the trees or down. Yeah. They're all the same. Very consistent. The light is one to three feet above the tracks. It shines for about 10 seconds and then disappears and then comes back for 10 seconds and disappears. It's a soft light. Does it move? I mean, when it comes back, is it in the same place it was or is it further down the track? It it will move. So it's okay. not always seen in like the exact same place. Okay. Uh, shortly before it was first seen. So this is the story of what they think this spook light is. Shortly before. Okay. 
Uh, a section foreman, Will McLean, confronted one of his workers. He believed the worker had something to do with one of the trains derailing outside of town. Uh, he thought the worker had sabotaged the track or something. McLean fired the worker. The two got into a skirmish, and the following day, McLean's body was found on the edge of town next to the tracks. This is a true story. The worker's name was Lewis McBride, and he was executed at the state penitentiary in February 1932 for the death of Will McLean. It was after McLean's death that the light started showing up. It's believed the light is McLean's lantern. Lantern. The first time the light was seen, it was seen by another conductor. He was riding on a train, and he saw a light traveling the same speed as the train on the outside of the tracks. He was paralyzed with fear. It followed the train for a little over a mile and then veered off, and he, the conductor described it as heading straight towards the cemetery. Oh. After that, the light has been seen basically nightly. So people don't know if it's because it's nightly, if this is like a long living prank that locals are doing like every night we're going to go and my lights are flashing. I know. I I just saw that. Did you see that? You are, you're a little spook like tonight, (laughs) aren't you? You're about to go purple, aren't you? I I was going to say, I haven't turned purple yet, but now it's like flashing lights. We're going to call you the spook light. Ugh. Anyway. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Is this a prank or is this paranormal? I'm leaning more towards paranormal. And let me tell you why. Because I have experienced a spook light before. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) I'm going to share a personal true life story if you want me to. True Uh life story you saw with your own eyes? If you want me to. Uh, You know what? I don't know if you don't want me to because I can't hear you. So turn us off now if you don't want to listen to it. Because I'm going to share a personal (laughs) story. I'm like nervous to share this story because I don't want you guys to think I'm crazy, but this happened. This really happened. And I honestly don't know that my college roommate would attest. I don't know because I feel like she was in complete denial (laughs) (laughs) when it happened. Uh, I will just start with, I don't know how they paired. Uh, freshman college roommates. I don't know how they do that. I don't know Uh, how they do it either. I was out partying every night and she was waking up and going to daily mass every morning. So I really don't know how they paired us up. A wonderful, wonderful soul. I really, I really loved her, but I, it was just, I don't know how they, uh, (laughs) well, you need someone to save your soul. So (laughs) here I was trying to communicate with the spirit that was in our room and she was out the door. Like anyway, I'm rushing to the end of the story. Okay. So this is my freshman year of college and we were living in a new dorm. Mm -hmm. It was probably only a couple years old. So Mm -hmm. whatever was there, I don't know what it was. I moved in and everything was fine. I really think this started, it was like second or third semester is when it really started our room was on the third floor of four floors, right? There's four floors there. Mm-hmm. I know I wasn't on the very top and I know I wasn't, I was in the middle. So I, it was like second or third floor. Um, But I just wanted, you know, to know reference of my room. Our room faced the parking lot mm-hmm. and we were right next to the bathroom. 
that everybody would use on our floor. Mm -hmm. We had two bathrooms on the floor, but ours is right next to it. Anyway, and it's a pretty large dorm. I would wake up in the middle of the night to the oddest scratching noises. And it sounded like they were scratching like around the walls. So I was like, okay, is this the bathroom? Like, is there somebody over there scratching? Is it a pipe? Is it like, right. I didn't, is it just water running? That just sounds like that. It got my attention, but it didn't keep my attention. It's the best way I can put it. Going back to sleep. And that went on for a week or so. Then I'd wake up to the scratching noises around my room and a flashing of light. Mm. And I was like, mom, you know, this story don't act like you haven't heard it. Uh, Hmm. <laughs> but you're at the parking lot could be cars exactly exactly what I thought I said okay that is very clearly just cars so I just rolled over and went back to sleep this continues for week after week but as I wake up and look this it is a ball of light and I notice that this ball of light now that I'm actually focusing on it is purple some nights it's blue and I am just like See, it changes, but it is more of like a purple blue color. It's not a color that a, a car light would necessarily have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was floating around the room. It wasn't just, I wasn't misinterpreting a light flashing out in the parking lot. I, I don't know. And it's not like some huge parking lot either. And for reference, we went to a very small school, but the parking lot was there. And then there was just field and like then the football field is up the hill, but it was far away, like up a hill. I, there's no way that could have ever been a light. Things did progress after I started to see this spook light. And that's why I think these spook lights can really be paranormal. I don't know if that's just how spirits show their energy, but um, I know things started to progress in our room a lot the TV would turn on in the middle of the night. That was kind of the biggest tell for me that it was paranormal. And I think that's when I started telling my mom, like, mom, there's something going on. It's really weird because the remote will be on my desk and it'll turn on and it's nowhere near us. We're not accidentally doing it. Uh, I think the scariest thing that happened was I was sleeping and I had, we always kept our room very cold. We liked it really, really cold. We'd even open the window. We, we liked it so cold. And I had this really big, I think it was your old uh, down comforter, but it was like it was filled feather, with feathers. It was a feather. It's a German feather bed that actually uh, my grandmother, it was when they escaped during the war, they actually, that's one of the things that they saved. Yeah, oh, so great. So that's probably where I brought the spirit in. I didn't know that. It was I'm my like, I'm rethinking everything now. <laughs> it was my grandmother's old feather bed. It was. Okay, but it was heavy. It was very heavy. Oh no, it was it was heavy. Yep. Uh I was and dead it wasn't asleep. thin, it was thick. No, it was a it was like and I'm not exaggerating, it was like that thick. It's a thick feather bed. <laughs> and it was it would cover the it was probably the size of a full. And I would I was on top bunk. And all of a sudden I woke up and I was freezing and I realized my blanket had lifted up. It was lifting up. And as soon as I realized it was lifted up, it, it came back down on me. And like I said, it was heavy. So I was like, oh my God, like, did that just happen? Did I just 
dream that. That happened three times to me. And that's when I started talking to my roommate. And that's when she started telling me of her experiences. She'd woken up to the light. She'd woken up to scratching noises because we didn't really talk about any of this stuff. We really didn't talk that much. (laughs) Sweet, sweet girl. And she would let me in when I lost my key and knocked on the door to come get in the room late at night. She was very nice. Let's see what else happened, mom. I'm like, things just really started to progress after we started talking about it. The paper cup of the styrofoam cup in the middle of the room that had had scratches on it, something like that. Well, there was start, we started to see scratches then on our bedpost, which like I said, this dorm was room was new. We'd never seen these scratches. I don't remember the styrofoam cup. Why am I not remembering that? How about coming back from class and everything's lined up? So I came back from class and I, that was the, that was the biggest thing that kind of freaked us out. Totally. I actually started staying in my friend's room after this. Um, Your poor roommate. Did she have a place to go? Yeah, no, she did too. She did too. I, my, my girlfriend had a futon in her room and I crashed there for a while. Um, But anyway, I get home from class and I really had to push my door. We had like a hotel door. So you have a key a card key to get in. And I had to really, really push my door to get into my room. There were pillows and uh, blankets and my down comforter pressed against the door. And that's the only door to get Mm -hmm. in. So there's no way somebody could have put that there. Uh, I, I walked in, I felt incredibly uncomfortable and I grabbed my necessities and left. And I stayed in my girlfriend's room for a long time um our what's it called like the person in charge of your ra yeah our ra came and talked to me and she says i'm not supposed to be staying with my friend i'm supposed to be staying in my room bonding with my roommate (laughs) okay but my roommate was really scared and had talked to our ra so we had to sit down with our ra and we told her everything that was going on and why we were scared and our ra told us several of her stories and her room was two doors away from ours. She would wake up to lights and then she would also wake up to her door open. Ooh, she would just wake up and she'd feel like there's somebody behind her and she'd roll over and her door would be open wide open to the hallway. So it wasn't just our room. And then I got a text from my roommate one day saying, Hey, even if you're in class, we need you to come to the room. We have some priests here that are blessing it and they want to bless you. <laughs> well, I probably need a blessing, especially <laughs> since it was me that brought in whatever this was with my blanket. Didn't know that. <laughs> it wasn't the blanket. <laughs> so I come back from class and they blessed everything. They called it an exorcism blessing, but it wasn't like an exorcism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I still didn't, didn't stay the, in there for a while. Didn't they do the whole dorm? They did. They did the whole floor. I don't know okay. if they did the whole dorm, but they did do the whole floor. And I was late to it. They'd already blessed our room and had moved down. And then I came running in and they had to come back and bless me. And then they went back so down. But we ran out of holy water. We need more for you. <laughs> oh, God. So, oh, my ear earbuds playing music all of a sudden can you hear that uh-uh. <laughs> i'm getting scared <laughs> where's that blanket now do you have that blanket i don't know where it's at did i not bring it home from college 
I don't that would, know. That wouldn't be like me at all to lose something. You wouldn't be able to lose this. I don't know where it's at. I have to look thing for was it. Big. Uh, so anyway, that is my personal spook light. Wait, story. You had to have an exorcist. Then they call up an exorcist to go into your room. As no, you I told just me, shared that they did an no, exorcism that was blessing. An exorcism blessing, but I thought some some priest walked into your room and it was just like, whoa. We need to. My roommate told. I almost said her name. I don't want to say her name. Um, my roommate did tell me that she had extra blessings. Like she wanted this thing like really gone, uh, and she was really pissed at me because in the beginning of it all, my girlfriend and I would sit in there and we would be like, "If you're here with us, turn on the TV. If you're here with us, move you my yoga ball didn't. to me. Do not blame my feather bed. You well, invited curi- this thing." things were already happening and so my girlfriend and I were really curious just like I am curious now and I would start to like try to talk to it and have it communicate and she got my roommate got so mad at me that I was communicating with it so after they did like the the floor blessing she had extra blessings and one of the priests it might have been an exorcist priest um but that's what I said back then then it probably is I my memory is not the best you told me um then it probably was, but I, you're right. I do remember a, somebody going in there and saying that they just did not feel right in that room and they had and to do they extra. Had to do, they had to do uh, an actual exorcism. And if I'm room. correct, I think now that, now that you say that, I, I'm sorry. Um, I did have a whole cocktail. Uh, that is the day I was late and I had to come run in and they like poured holy water all over me. That's the day I was late. And yeah. And I think I actually, yeah, this is the bottle from that. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. That's, that's from that. Wow. And I've had it with funny? me. I have my holy water up here too. <laughs> we haven't had to do sage or holy water in a long, 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 long time. Because we haven't um, really, we've had fun no. paranormal. Well, yeah. And this is fun too. I don't, don't, I never... I don't know. I never felt like threatened, but it was my first true, honest to God, personal experience. Like I've always been into paranormal, but nothing's ever happened to me or around me, but whatever it was, was really trying to get our attention. And I find it really interesting that it was getting my attention, but I didn't verbalize it or say anything to anybody until the TV started turning on and off. And then my roommate and I started talking and she was like, yeah, that's, I noticed this ball of light. And I'm like, you did too? Like, okay. So that was uh, my experience. (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing your personal, that you look like little Evie. (laughs) With my spook light. That's my personal experience of a spook light. I had, I've had other experiences. I'll have to share some more later, but um, yes, that was my have. first and I thought it would be fitting. There you go. There we go. There you go. I was okay. So like I said, wait, what? This, I was an Atchison on Friday. I haven't been back in so long. I was, I was there to see socks. It was her birthday. Hi so socks. I, Happy birthday. I, I surprised her and I oh. went up there and we had so much fun. So oh, yep. I want to go back. I want to go oh, back. Um, Actually, one of our listeners mm-hmm. just took her daughter to the Sally house. <gasps> oh, so I, I want to uh, 
chat more with her about if they felt anything or saw anything. Let's do. Yeah. Let's do. I, I told you I was in the Sally house. I, Socks and I, because we know the owner of the Sally house. Well, Socks and Jerry do. And we got a chance to visit the Sally house. It's one place I'm not sure I'd want to go into. I didn't. I don't know. I didn't feel anything, but I didn't know as much about the Sally house when I went in there, you know? And I don't, so. I just know that a lot of like some of my paranormal investigator friends have, have been there and have had a lot of demonic following them and energies and i just i that's the stuff i don't really want to mess with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i don't know and I we haven't covered the sally house yet we should we have it but we should hey you know what when we do i should see if i could go back in there and take pictures do it you'll have to do that one by so yourself we'll but you do it i'll do it with socks not at night it'll be in the <laughs> during the day <laughs> Because uh, Jerry said he felt a push. Um, Sally doesn't like men. Correct. Jerry, Jerry is a retired detective. Um, so, you know, he's kind of a, a no joke around. Kind of, well, he is yeah. he's a joker, but, you know. He, I was going to say, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> but he felt a push when he was on the top of the stairs. The it's owner of the house for has been scratched. Well, they do call it the scratch house. They do. The Sally house. And there's a reason because men tend I to mean, get scratched a lot there. It's na- It's literally named one of the most haunted houses in America. I think every paranormal group is gone. Knows I about mean, the is, Sally house. It is very haunted. Very haunted. Yeah, I'll have to uh, do something on that. Yeah, we will. Okay. This was a fun episode. Join us on Patreon <laughs> for that to hunt a killer box. You don't want to miss just Patreon in general. And we really, really appreciate it. We do. Really, really, really do. To that person <laughs> that says, I use the word really too much. Some people think I really use really too much. <laughs> well, you really do. <laughs> side side note, when I was a little girl, I liked to use the word surely. And I would say, I'm surely sure I'm hungry right now. I'm surely sure. <laughs> I don't even know why I just shared that with everybody, but I'm surely sure I'm a little tipsy right now. <laughs> surely sure I am. Uh, I'm surely sure this is a good episode. If you want to see resources from these stories, mom's horrible story and my very thought out long, hard work of a story. Those are going to be on our website, killerhangoverpodcast.com. Also pictures social media links, Patreon link is there. Email us if you have personal stories, fun things, or just anything. Killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe. That puts us up higher on the old charts. Oh, mother. It helps us and we appreciate it. Thank you very much. I would like to be on the top. (laughs) Okay, I have to let my dog out. I have to go to sleep. (laughs) Yeah, you need to go. Cheers, Mama. Oh, with my big Stanley. (laughs) Cheers. I love you, kid.